Would you say a prayer with me as we look at the scripture story this morning? Jesus, we explicitly want to say thank you to you this morning. We, th we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. For giving yourself up willingly, Jesus, taking on all sorts of suffering and pain and conquering death and evil and sin and extending your hands in relationship back to us. We couldn't be more grateful. It's changed the lives of those of us who are following you, God. We, we hear your grace and your mercy towards us and we... We celebrate today on Easter, and we're grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so on the first Easter Sunday morning, while it's still dark, Mary and some of the others are headed towards the tomb. And when she gets to the tomb, she finds that the stone has been rolled away, and it freaks her out. And so she runs back to find some of the disciples, and she finds Peter, she finds John, and then they all run back to the tomb again. And the scripture tells us that it's a bit of a, of a foot race. And John wants you to know that he won. He got there first. But he was nervous when he got there. And Peter, being the disciple who's always willing to take a risk, goes right into the tomb to see what's happening. And when they arrive there, they find that Jesus' body is not there. It's missing. And they're not really sure what to, to do with that part of the story. They don't know how to make sense of it right away, but something is obviously happening that they did not expect. Peter and John go back to talk to some of the other disciples, but Mary is emotionally overwhelmed. So she's standing right outside the tomb crying. And then she, she ventures to peer into the tomb to see what she can see, because she hasn't been in yet. And when she peers in, she sees angels sitting where the head and foot of Jesus' body should have been. And they say to her, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus isn't here anymore. He is risen. Now, she turns around, and you can imagine just how emotional the moment is, and you're trying to process, and you can't really process. And, and she sees someone in the distance when she turns around, and she thinks it's the gardener. And she says to the gardener, won't you tell me, if you've taken him somewhere, tell me where you've taken him, I'll go find him. And then the gardener speaks to her in a familiar voice in such a way that she realizes the gardener's not the gardener, it's Jesus. And Jesus says, Mary, it's me. And now she's a whole nother version of overwhelmed, right? And she's still crying, but her tears are changing from tears of grief to tears of joy. And Jesus says, don't, don't touch me right now, but go back and tell the others what you have seen. Jesus chose to reveal himself to this female follower of his first and sends her with the good news. I found this picture, in the, it's, I think it's hanging actually in the Brooklyn Museum right now, an image in the doorway on the right-hand side is Mary bursting into this room that the disciples are all in, trying to figure out what's going on, trying to figure out what this news means that they're hearing from the others. And she, you can imagine her bursting into the room sent by Jesus to tell the others, I saw him. Isn't that amazing? That evening, that same day in the evening, Sunday evening, the disciples are together. And they're in a locked room because they're, they're terrified. They're terrified because they've been associated with Jesus and they're not sure if they're going to get arrested too if they'll be crucified also, 
And so they've locked themselves in a room. And in the midst of their meeting, probably a mix of still grief and confusion and hope from what they heard in the morning, in the midst of all of that that's happening, Jesus appears to them. And this is how the Bible describes that meeting in John chapter 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus meets these disciples on this Sunday evening right where they're at, right? He doesn't ask them to come find him. He goes to find them. And he stands in their midst. And the first thing that Jesus says to the disciples when he meets them face to face is what? Peace be with you. And I want to talk to you about the peace of God that Jesus offers to us on this Easter that changes our lives and also changes our understanding of who we're supposed to be in the world. So our community time question for today was, what's the most peaceful place you've been to? How many of you thought, uh, if you're from Minnesota, spend time in Minnesota, how many of you thought of some sort of a lake location? Okay, handful of you. Here's an image of a peaceful lake location. Maybe it looks like that, right? Calm waters, cell phone reception's not that good, less people than in the city, something that feels more relaxing, right? We have throngs of people driving out of the Twin Cities, starting any weekend now, right? Trying to find some rest and peace around the many lakes of the state of Minnesota. Or maybe for others of you, you were thinking of a hike that you've been on recently, if you're a nature person, and you wanted to get out there and see a beautiful vista and feel like you could connect with God in a different way through nature. Maybe there was a, a many other different images that could have gone through your head when you thought about the most peaceful place that you have been to. And if you ever get a chance to spend a time in a place like one of those places, when you return to your regular life, what do you say? You say something like, well, now I have to go back to the real world. And the real world is often not that peaceful of a place, isn't it? That's why we call it the real world. It's a place full of challenges, conflicts, uncertainty, stress. Regular life, for many of us, isn't always a, a place of peace. And sometimes it feels very, uh, like it's almost never a, a place of peace. But peace is what Jesus is offering these disciples and what Jesus is offering us today. Peace is what he offers them the first time he sees them. Before any other explanation, he says, Peace be with you. But what kind of peace is this that Jesus is offering? Here is how he describes it to the disciples before he died, when he was trying to prepare them for his death. One verse in John 14 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. 
I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So experiencing the peace of Jesus means that your heart is not troubled and you are not afraid. Jesus says that this peace is different from the peace that the world is offering. He just means the general offer of peace from the cultures that they lived in at the time. And he's most likely referring to what was called the Pax Romana, or the Peace of Rome. This was considered in history one of the most peaceful times in that section of the world where Rome, the Roman Empire, was dominant. And it's important to understand just sort of what Jesus is contrasting when he says, I don't offer to you the way the world offers, I offer you something different. The Peace of Rome, uh, here's a sketch of the Peace of Rome real quickly. It was built on uh, a number of key pieces. First of all, the Peace of Rome was built on military power. Rome had very powerful armies. You didn't volunteer to become part of the Empire of Rome. They conquered you and made you part of the Roman Empire, or they forced you into submission to become part. So the powerful army was part of how peace was made by Rome. The peace of Rome was built on political protection. So Roman citizens had political protection so that they knew that they could enjoy their possessions and their lives in relative peace because Rome was protecting them. The peace of Rome was built on economic power. They built trade routes and, and roads and they provided business opportunities and then they extracted all sorts of taxes for those efforts from people in order to make peace. The peace of Rome was built on legal authority where they would impose Roman law on all the citizens and all the people who were living in the Roman Empire. The peace of Rome was built on cultural influence. You've heard the phrase, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. They would indoctrinate people into the sort of lifestyle and values and perspectives that the Romans had and try to teach everyone to live the Roman way of life. The peace of Rome was built on religious authority that claimed that Caesar, their king, their president, right, was, was a god. He was the son of gods and should be respected and worshipped as such in the Roman kingdom. This is how the Roman Empire made peace. And unless you were on the fringes of the Roman Empire, you experienced this sort of calm most of the time in, in the territory that Rome controlled at the time of Jesus' life. Now, in many ways, the foundations of peace in the Roman Empire that I just outlined for you are pretty similar to the way we think about peace in the cultures we live in today. You can try to find peace through military protection. You can try to find peace through political authority. You can try to find peace through economic security, right? We're constantly being sold that. If you have enough money in your 401k, you will be at peace. You can find peace through legal protection. You can find peace through cultural influence. You can find peace through religious privilege. But all of these foundations of peace require, and here's the most important word, control. They require control over your circumstances and the other people in your lives. The peace is fundamentally achieved by trying to control what happens to us in our lives, make sure that nobody disturbs our vision of the good life. It can be exhausting to try to pursue this kind of peace. I don't know if you've tried any of those avenues that I just named. 
because it takes constant effort to stay in control of all the things that are happening in your life, right? It takes constant effort to try to control the circumstances in your workplace, with your health, with your relationships, with your finances, your politics, your expression of faith. Inevitably, all of us recognize that we can't control all of these things. Our government can't control all of these things. Our boss can't control all of these things. Even your pastor can't control all of these things. And so we lose our grip on peace. And despite all the advantages of the 21st century, my observation is that seems to be a lot of people who are not living a life of peace. So I don't know if that's where you are as you came here today for this worship service at Mill City Church. If you're honest, you might say life just isn't that peaceful. And short of finding a weekend away at the lake, it's hard to see how it's going to become more peaceful. Now, Jesus offers us a different kind of peace. He says, I don't give peace to you the way the world gives it to you. The peace Jesus offers is not built on military power. He said, I have an army that I could call on, but I choose not to. It's not built on political upheaval or authority. Jesus could have tried to overthrow Caesar and overcame Caesar and became Caesar, but he chose not to do that. When Jesus turned uh, rocks into bread, people said, let's make this guy the king because we'll be economically secure. We'll never be short of bread. And Jesus says, no, that's not how we're going to win people over for the kingdom of God. It's not through economic security that we're going to establish peace. Instead, the peace of Jesus is built on self-sacrifice. Jesus willingly giving himself up for the sake of other people. It's built on God's ridiculous forgiveness and grace towards people who don't deserve God's grace, myself included. It's built on deep trust and relationship and presence, God's promised presence to all of us. Jesus' peace is based on trusted relationship and promised presence. He isn't promising his followers control over their circumstances, is he? He's not saying this is the best way to control everything bad that's ever going to happen to you. In fact, as he walks up to them, he's showing them that you don't always get to control your circumstances by showing them the scars in his hands and in his side. Jesus enters that room and he says, peace be with you. And here are the marks of that peace. Here's what that peace costs. Now believe that everything that I've taught you is true. I think one of the things that scared the disciples the most whenever Jesus was talking to them about his suffering and his resurrection, they, they just didn't want to go there. And I really believe that one of the reasons why they had such a hard time entering into that conversation with them before he died was real simple. They just didn't want to lose their friend. They loved him. They had given their lives to following him and listening to him and learning from him. They were so distraught about any idea that sounded like he wasn't going to be with them anymore. And so Peter would yell at him and say, never, I'll never let this stuff happen to you. And Jesus said, you've got to get behind me because you're acting like Satan right now. I have to go forward in the plan that the Father has for me. So when Jesus stands there and says, peace with you that first time to them, one of the things he's, he's showing them is not even death can prevent me from being present with you. Nothing can prevent me from being with you, 
no matter what your life circumstances are like, even if you die, I'll still be with you because I've already been through that. So their fear of Jesus not being with them is, is going away as they see that unbelievably, not even death can prevent Jesus from being with his friends, from being with his disciples, from being with his followers. The peace of Jesus transcends our circumstances. It's bigger than our circumstances because it solidifies our relationship with God that no circumstance in your life can ever take away from you. That God's presence in the midst of our struggles, and I look out on you today and I know that every one of us in the room has a struggle that they could name, right? The peace of God comes to you because you can be sure through your faith in Jesus Christ that no matter what you're facing, God has been there and God is with you. And that's never going to change and nothing can take that away from you. I don't know if you've been through hard times in your life where the thing that helped you the most was having people that loved you, that you trusted, who were right by your side in the midst of it. They couldn't change it, maybe. They couldn't even change the circumstances that you were facing, but it made all the difference that they were still with you. Whether that was an illness or a, or a sudden job change or loss of somebody or life just took a left turn out of nowhere. When you had friends and loved ones that you trusted who said, no matter what happens, I'm with you, I'm, I'm right here. Doesn't that make a huge difference in your life? So when Jesus is saying this is what peace looks like, he's saying you have to understand, you have to believe that no circumstance you ever face can cause me to not be present with you. This is a church where people are stoic and have a hard time saying the word amen during sermons. For those of you who have been through traditions where that's more common, I enlist your help for the last 10 minutes, okay? Because it is, it is Easter, okay? And I did see during the worship time that you have some ability to express yourself. So feel free, take a risk in the last 10 minutes if you agree with anything I'm saying, express yourself, okay? Are we agreed? Yeah. Somebody? Now don't get all out of control. All right. Peace from God is this deep knowledge. Those of you who, have, who know what I'm talking about, you know that even when you're in the midst of something hard, you have this sense, it's like somewhere in your gut, in your heart, in your soul, in the deepest part of you, you feel it. You feel that Jesus and, and God's spirit is present with you no matter what. And the peace comes not because you know that God's gonna fix your problem or change your circumstance, or help you in some particular way, but that no matter what happens to you, God's not going away. How do you experience this peace with God, especially for those of you who maybe don't, haven't had this experience? It, it comes by Jesus inviting us to, to believe or trust, because those words are very close in the New Testament. Jesus is doing everything at the end of the book of John to help them believe, because he knows it's hard for them Look, here are my hands, here's my side. Put your finger right here. Believe that I am who I say I am because if you believe me, if you trust me with your life, you will feel that kind of peace that I'm talking about because nothing that happens to you in your life can separate you from the love that I have for you that I've proven on the cross and I'm offering to you, but you have to trust me. You have to believe what I'm saying. 
and follow where I want to lead you. Especially for those of you who are here this morning and you might not feel like you have peace with God, I hope you hear that this story is trying to say to you, God desperately wants you to feel this peace. God desperately wants you to experience the peace that comes from being free from any wrongdoing that you felt like you've done. Nothing that you've done or not done can keep you away from the peace of God if you're open to it. You can be forgiven for things that have gone wrong. You can, be, you can forgive other people who have done wrong things to you. You can come to know God more and, and find answers to your questions about what God is really like. You can find transformation in your work, in your regular everyday life. You can have hope for the future that extends even beyond your death. God wants you to have that sort of peace. Now, Jesus a second time says, peace be with you in this passage. So he says, peace be with you, and he shows him his hands and his, his side, and he says, you believe. And then he says, peace be with you a second time, and the second offering takes a whole different turn. He says, as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. Now, this is like the ultimate promotion at work that you're totally not ready for. These guys can barely hold it together and understand what Jesus is trying to tell them. And in the second moment of peace be with you, he's saying, as the Father sent me into this world, now your turn. How terrifying must that have been? Jesus says, the peace isn't just so that you can feel okay. The peace isn't just so that you can know that you're right with God and then do whatever you want with your life. This is one of the biggest problems in the Christian church in the 21st century. When we interpret the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection as being only for us and not for the sake of the world, the church begins to die. Because it doesn't live into its identity that Jesus says, this peace is for you. Look at my hands, look at my side. Now, the peace is also for you so you can go out. Get out of your locked room and get out into the world where there are lots of other people who need to know that I am offering them peace that they can't even understand. You are sent out. And that is an incredible challenge. He says, I am breathing upon you the Holy Spirit. I am, I am promising to be with you. Here's how I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to be physically with you, but I will give you my spirit so that wherever you go, you represent me. When you forgive someone's sins, they are forgiven. When you proclaim healing in Jesus' name, there is healing given. When you walk out into the world, you are representing me. And that's why the people who cry hypocrisy about the local church have so much trouble because they expect us to be what Jesus is sending us out, and they should. So Jesus says, peace be with you so that you can receive the forgiveness that you need to be part of the kingdom work that God wants to do in our lives and in the world. The world desperately needs the peace that Jesus is offering. Amen? no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, but especially if you've been a Christian a long time, I hope you hear this part of the message. It's easy as a Christian when you've been a Christian a long time to just hear Easter and say, this is amazing, I'm celebrating it, I know that I'm forgiven, I know that God loves me, and, and miss the challenge 
of what Jesus is doing here when he says, no, but now you have the spirit and now you're out in the world representing me every day, engaging the world the same way that I engaged. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let me invite the band to come back up. Today, if you know that you need peace with God, just take a minute right now and tell God that you need to experience his peace. Tell God in this minute I'm going to give you that you receive God's forgiveness, that you hear that he's offering you forgiveness for whatever sin that you have committed or has been committed against you, that you believe that Jesus came back to life, that you want to feel the sort of deep peace that comes from knowing that God will always be with you no matter what happens in your life. Just take a moment and, and talk to God about that, and then we will celebrate communion together. When you come forward to receive communion today, let me invite the communion servers to come forward. You're gonna, you're gonna come down here in a line. If you've not been to Mill City Church, let me tell you how it works. You'll come down here and you'll take a piece of gluten-free bread and you'll dip it in some juice. The bread representing Jesus' body that we're celebrating was risen today. And Jesus' blood that he shed on the cross willingly, he laid down his life and he took it back again because he could and he wanted to. So you take that piece of, of cracker and you put it in the juice. And as you're eating it, I want you to think that you are confirming your faith, receiving the peace that God is offering to you. You don't have to be a member of Mill City Church, but you do need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You have to be someone who says, I believe. And this is the gift that is given to you for those of you who believe. So come forward when you're ready during this next song form a line. There'll be two stations on each side so you can, you can pick one. And let me pray for that experience. Jesus, we love you again. We're so grateful that you offer us this peace. And for many of us, God, maybe it's been a while since we've felt that peace in our lives. So as we come forward today and we say, we believe, help us, Lord, to receive your peace. Help us to feel it in a way maybe that we haven't felt it in a long time. God, for all, the, for all the circumstances that are represented in this room, we pray your peace. We pray that you'd hear us, that you'd be with us, that you'd help us to sense your presence and to have confidence that no matter what happens to us, you will never leave us or forsake us. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, help us not to stop there, but to accept the call that you place on every one of our lives as we go back to our workplaces and our neighborhoods and our family dinners and our friendships and our, our hobbies and all the different things we invest in our life. God, help us to remember that you have sent us out by the power of your Holy Spirit to do the kingdom work that you began until you return. That's what it means for us to be the church. We're grateful for your gifts. We're grateful for your son. We thank you for for giving us 
and redeeming us and sending us out. Please receive this last bit of worship that we have to offer you. In your name we pray. Amen.